Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Hello, welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week I wanted to redo episode one. Um, I know it's my most downloaded episode, and in all honesty, I did it over two years ago. Some things have changed, some things I've learned more about. So I thought, perfect opportunity, episode 100, let's redo the number one episode, and let's put it with the newest content. I will start off with some basics about myself. Um, For those who don't know, uh, I live in Cambridge, Ontario. Uh, I own properties in both Canada and the U.S., so it's not completely prejudiced, although there is a lot of prejudice in this because I'm very for the United States, as the, the name will show. I own properties in Ontario, Alabama, Indiana, Missouri, Texas, and Ohio. How I started investing in the States was originally... I owned some properties in Cambridge, and I had a duplex, and I had the best tenant. I still have this tenant to this day. This tenant was there for one year, and in that one year, they replaced the flooring on their own dime. They replaced the stove and the hood range on their own dime, and they painted the property twice, the interior of it, because first time they didn't like the color, so they did it a second time. When you get tenants like this, you want to keep them. And the problem was that the tenant found a job on the other side of London, London, Ontario. So, (laughs) to keep them, I bought a property over there, and they moved into it, and they've been fixing it up. So, as I got used to having properties that were two hours away, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and in all honesty, most of them are American podcasts. And I thought, well, why, if I can do two hours away, why couldn't I do the United States and get some better returns? So I turned it, started out with some turnkey properties, which was just a, an easy way to get me into the United States. The reason I started with turnkey properties is they had the whole package. So they came renovated, so I wasn't worried about contractors. Uh, they came with property management in place, tenants in place. So that worked for me at that time. Um, I now use a different strategy, and, and those kind of things don't work for me. Um, we will get to that, though. So anyway, that, that's where I went. I started doing... Uh, I think I did four turnkeys off the start. Then I realized that I was going to run out of money, so I started doing burrs, which was doing well. I was able to turn a property, or two properties a year, but it wasn't fast enough, and I've switched to the JV model, where now we're turning many properties every month. So anyway, that's where we are today. Um, Let's get into the U.S. Why buy in the United States? One of the main reasons is low property taxes. I don't know about you, but property taxes in Ontario are very expensive. You can see that whenever these are all line items on how much money you make every month, and by having them far lower, it actually is the first thing that will actually create your higher cash flow by using the United States. The other thing is you'll have a lower cost of entry. Um, The down payment on a property in Ontario could be the purchase price in the United States. Meaning, um, a lot of times you're going to be putting down fifty dollars or $60,000 in Canada to buy a rental property, in, or Ontario at least, and in the United States you could buy the property cash. I wouldn't advise doing that, but it, you could buy the property's cash. Landlord laws. I'm currently, actually with my Ontario properties, I'm always in a battle uh, with the tenants and using the landlord-tenant board, which I know if anyone is familiar with that is not the fastest process to use. 
So why not pick a state where the, t the laws are all on your side instead of on the tenant's side? Why not make it easier for yourself? That's why you can see that the states that I have picked, the eviction process is quick, the laws are in your side. Well, all the states I pick, you're using security deposits instead of last month's rent, which you can use to turn the properties over. And in some of these states, you can charge more than one month's rent as the security deposit. I know in Alabama, you can charge a pet deposit. So on some of my properties, I've charged $100 per pet. And right off the bat, on your first month's rent, you get an extra $300 in my case when a place had three Shih Tzus that they were putting in. And I was perfectly happy to have Shih Tzus in there. And the $300 made the whole process a little bit less risky. Um, another thing about the United States is they have 30-year term and amortized loans. So you can get a 30-30 loan. Not to be confused with the Ontario loans where they're usually uh, a 30-year amortization, but like a five-year term or a three-year term. No, no, you can lock in your mortgage for the whole 30 years. And you go, well, what does, what's the advantage of that? The advantage is that it's predictable. It's predictable for a longer period of time, which is, it makes everything a lot easier to work with because you know how everything's going to play. Anything that you can predict out as far as possible is an advantage. Another reason why to buy in the States would be the, uh, the returns. So what, where I'm going with is as, as you get more expensive properties, the ROI shrinks. It happens even in the states. So a property that's $200,000 would say rent for $1,500 a month, whereas a property for $50,000 would rent for like say eight or $900 a month. So when you divide them to get to your rent to value ratio, I know that like a lot of the podcasts, they rant about the 1% the rule. So for instance, a $100,000 property should rent for $1,000 a month. That's the 1% rule. But as you get under $100,000 properties, the rent-to-value ratio actually gets higher. So you can get into the 1.6 if you bought a $50,000 property and it rented for $800. Um, on many of my duplexes, we're getting like 2%, 2.5% of the, the purchase price. And a lot of this is because I'm not buying turnkey anymore either. The 1% the rule is mostly pushed by the turnkey property people, which are a lot of them that do the podcasts, who you're going to get your information from. So they push the 1% rule because they can perform at the 1% rule. But a lot of these, if you're starting to do the renovation yourself, you're starting to buy them undervalued. You're making the money on the renovation. And so now you can push this up because you're paying less for properties and you're getting higher rent. So you can make these um, ratios really well. Whereas if so, for instance, to go on the other side, if you're buying like a $300,000 property, it would probably rent for, say, $2,000, which would be a 0.66, which, depending on what you're looking for, it could be good. But if I'm personally, if I'm going to buy a $300,000 property, I want to buy a duplex or a fourplex or something like that where I'm not getting $2,000 rent. I want to be getting like $4,000 of rent. I want to be getting higher than the 1% rule for sure. So buy where it makes most sense. Buy where you're going to make the most profit. Make it easier for yourself. Isn't that what this is all about, is financial freedom? Make it easier for yourself. So some of the barriers to entry. I will sit here and preach all the good stuff, and a lot of times I don't touch enough on the bad stuff. So <laughs> the biggest barrier to entry is financing. Financing is more difficult to get. 
if you go into say Wells Fargo or Bank of America and you're asking for a loan for a rental property unless you have a social uh, security number it's probably not gonna happen which I don't I don't have a social security number I am in the same boat as you um, financing is more expensive and it's not you know if you go and look at the rates online for say a, a loan at Wells Fargo or Bank of America or Chase compared to Royal Bank or TD or Scotia or BMO it's gonna be like 1% higher but that's not the rate we're getting because we're Canadians and we can't deal with those first tier banks um, in all honesty it's very difficult to even work with the second tier credit unions in all honesty most of the time you're working with hard money which is gonna mean your money is a lot more expensive to work with but per the stuff I talked about on the last slides about the advantages sure your uh, financing may be a few more percent higher but you're making it up because you're paying lower property taxes and all those things I went through which you'll see still makes really really well on returns the other barrier to entry is you're now dealing with a different country so you now have to deal with the IRS and the Canada Revenue Agency right so I will touch on this but you, the basic thing to do is to not get double taxed um, with a lot of these corporate structures and everything else I've set up is so I don't get double taxed and you can set up an LLC or an LP or a lot of these corporate documents yourself online I personally wouldn't do that um, you want to be make sure it's set up properly especially for your first one uh, your second ones and stuff you might be able to copy some of the stuff a lot of times I copy the partnership agreements or stuff like that I can reuse and just change all the stuff around but you want on the very first one you want to make sure it's all set up properly um, <laughs> you don't want like you don't want anything coming back to you in Canada you don't want them saying getting a judgment on you um, and and it comes back and, and they're gonna sue you and they're gonna try and come across the border to take your stuff first of all that's very difficult to do um, but it could be done it could be done but what you want to do is build some walls in between and we will get to that as well um, and you don't want double tax so you're gonna strip your structures properly so that uh, Canada Revenue is happy and the IRS is happy and everything works together there is a tax treaty between the two countries so if you do pay tax in the United States uh, then you won't be paying tax in Canada if you are paying tax in the United States uh, I would say you're either flipping or you're not doing buy and holds correctly your structure is not set up because if you're doing buy and holds you shouldn't be paying tax uh, buy till you die there's lots of setup fees that come ahead come up with buying properties if you're always buying properties you are not gonna be paying taxes cash is king I want to do another episode on this it's probably gonna come out in the next month but it is so true it is so true that cash is king um, for wholesalers for short sales for foreclosures a lot of people are looking for 14 day closes hard money companies are gonna have a real hard time doing 14 day closes um, some of them can do it if you have everything set up they can probably squeak it in but it's it's cash is king if you can close with cash and then put your financing on you're way ahead if you can uh, put your fine buy it in cash do the renovation in cash you're even farther ahead um, a lot of these things you don't realize how much the fees 
stack on top of each other when doing financing, especially when you're doing like these cheap little properties that you're, you're, you're putting like a, you're paying points on setup and then you're paying all these other little tiny fees, but it adds up and then you do a refinance. I'll cover this hard, much harder in another episode. We won't go into that too much right now. Um, so basically we went over some of the pluses, some of the minuses, everything looks good for the United States. Now what? How, what, do I, what am I doing? How do I pick a market? There is far more markets in the United States. They literally have the population, I think it's 10 to 1 to us in Canada. There's so many cities, there's so many states. How do you pick these people? How do you pick where to go? Um, I'll be honest with you, there is lots of good choices, but there's also lots of bad choices. So I'll go over some of these things right now. Vacancy rate is on the state website. If you want to buy, if you're planning on doing buy and holds, like this all, what's important to you may not be important to me. But so remember, if you're doing flips, the vacancy rates is not going to be as important to you because you're doing that. You're more your your time on market is going to be more important to you. But the vacancy rates are on the state website, so you can go and see that all this stuff. So pick your market. Vacancy rates, landlord loss. Uh, some states you can start your eviction process on the 5th, some on the 3rd, some on the 20th. Figure this out. If you uh, want to pick a market, pick one that's going to be in your favor. Don't pick a market where it's going to take like six months to get to uh, court to, to make a judgment for an eviction. You don't want to be paying for that property for six months for these, someone else to live there. We're not running a charity. We are running a business. So pick something where you're going to be able to evict. Property taxes. Pick a place where the property taxes are reasonable. Don't pick a state where it's phenomenal. The other thing that's misleading is if you just go onto some lists and say, hey, where is, what's the most, uh, the cheapest property taxes in the entire United States? <laughs> a lot of them, it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not skewed properly because it really, that's only for new builds because a lot of these properties, like, you're going to go buy a property in Kentucky, for instance, and the appraised value from the city, it might say that that house is worth 10000 but you just bought it for seventy. So even if their tax rate is a little higher, you're still paying very little taxes, and they only move it up so much every year, right? So it's kind of, you've got to probe down after you've kind of picked a few markets to try and check this, what the property taxes are and try and figure out some similar properties. Um, unless you're into the new build thing, then you can just use the, the, the um, what Google says as the rates. Pick a market that cash flows. If you're going to go to the United States, why would you pick a market that is going to be, I, I see this all the time, why would you pick a market that is still barely breaking even? There are markets that are similar to like Toronto, where you're going to go into New York City or you're going to go into uh, San Diego or San Francisco, and it's it just, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you go all the way there? Because now it's actually a disadvantage to go to the States compared to Canada. You might as well just keep buying properties in Toronto. It doesn't make sense. Um, make sure your properties can support the 1% rule. That is the minimum. That's the minimum. I, like I said when I was starting this, throw that number out. That's basically a turnkey number. If you're buying turnkey properties, 1% rule is good. If you're buying properties where you're going to do the renovation, 1% is not enough. You want to be making money. You're running a business. Check for businesses that are going to employ your tenants. 
obviously. So there's a 20% rule. So you want to make sure that the highest employer in that city doesn't control 20% of the workers. Why would that be bad? Well, if that company goes under, what are you going to do? You don't, <laughs> you're all your, your, no one has anywhere to work. That's what the problem is. Uh, and I see this all the time when people uh, can find similar numbers to what I can find in the States in really far, far up northern Ontario. And you can get some good returns there. But if that one mine closes, what are you going to do? Because all your houses are worth nothing. Make sure you're not in a one horse town. Also check population growth in school zones. You want to be in markets that are growing. School zones are more important than you think. Um, many times I've had tenants, it's, it happens even in, in Ontario, like I had one of my tenants that just wanted to be their kids to go to the same school. So they want to be in the same school, but it's not as drastic in Canada as the US. There's really good schools and there's really bad schools. And those lines dictate so much because a lot of us as Canadians, we go, what about, we see that, oh, there's this, this one side of the road, houses are worth 300,000. On the other side of the road, houses are worth 50,000. And you go, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build some, fix up those $50,000 houses and sell them for 300,000. Problem is, is they're in a different school zone. And if they're in a different school zone, you cannot, you won't be able to push up to the 300 thing because they're not going to go to the school and the people don't want to live there because it's not the right school. And often people will pay extra to be in the top schools and the safe schools. It's very important to the people living there. Another trick I learned is the crime rates. So there is tons of crime, uh, crime, there are tons of crime rate maps out there. Um, and the crime rate is something to look at, but it's not to look at it as, oh, that's high crime. One thing you can do, and this is, this is just my idea. You can go straight by crime rate. I want to look for neighborhoods that the crime rate is declining. The people who live there know that the crime rate's going up or down, and it will dictate if they want to live there or not. And people will try to beat the rush and we'll move into areas where the crime rate is declining or neighborhoods are improving. It may not may still have high crime, but it might be a still a place to make a really good cash flow. And often the prop places with the higher crime will have the higher cash flow, but there's more risk. And you're probably looking at older properties that need more maintenance also. So the map I just put up on the screen is showing the landlord friendly versus the tenant friendly states. Obviously green is landlord, red is tenant. Like I said, depending what your business model is, this may be important, it may not be important. Um, but it's something to keep in, keep in mind because you're gonna wanna have the ability to do evictions. Property managers aren't gonna pick the perfect tenant sometimes. Uh, even people with top credit scores and really good jobs, and they make like 10 times what the rent is, sometimes still are not good tenants. You have to get rid of them. Okay, let's get down to some of the nitty gritty. Get a CPA. Why? Off the start, call me, ask me for my CPA. I will gladly share my CPA with you. Um, what you need the CPA for is to set up your LLC and your ITIN. A lot of people get 
hung up on this and they won't buy a property until they have all their structure set up. You don't need to do that. An I-10 is needed for tax purposes. It's also needed for a bank account. But step one, you can still buy a property without an I-10. It makes some of the things maybe slightly easier. It doesn't need to be done. It's needed for tax time. It's an international tax ID number. It's needed for taxes. You can still buy the property before you get this. Some of the lenders, if you're going to close with financing, are going to require that you have this I-10. Often, you can get by without this. So you can go, if you find a deal, you can move, and then you can set this up as you're closing or after you close. For the LLC um, or the LP, I should put in there too. I, I talk a lot about LLCs, but a lot of times in my structures, they're not the top. You For double taxation, you don't want them at the top but I usually use LPs. But anyway, to set up your structures, you're going to need a CPA. To plan your taxes, uh, you're going to need a CPA. You want to be able to make sure that you know someone who's working in both Canada and the U.S. and is experienced in this. You don't want some newbie because that's money that you're, they're just not going to save you because they don't understand the whole thing. And like I said, you'll need them to set up the LP, LLC, and get you your EIN. Um, the way this works for setting this up is what you usually do, the way this works, is you call up your accountant and they will put through, check the names to see if the name that you're looking for for your corporation, uh, your LP, your LLC, your C Corp, whatever you're looking for is available, then they will apply to get the name. Once you get the name back, they will get you an EIN number and that's basically the tax number for your LP or LLC. So if you're in a super rush, I found out you can close a property with only having the LP or LLC name and it's registered with the state. The way a title company looks, they're going to go look to see if the, that name is registered and um, current. And so you will be current because you just paid for your first year when you set it up. The EIN number um, is going to be more needed for uh, if you're closing with a loan. One of those other things. But if you're closing in cash because cash is the king, you can close this thing, you can close this property really, really fast and get that right afterwards. What happens is the CPA, once we have the name registered, then they apply to get the EIN and it comes back. And it varies by state and it varies by time of year. So if you're doing this in oh, February to April when it's tax season, it's going to be slower to get your EIN. So don't let this hold you up. You can still act quickly and with just having the registered name. So, more about setting this all up. Uh, it depends on the state, the prices. Um, and it actually varies, even still. Um, this is still an older number. I haven't set up an Alabama LLC in a little bit. Usually, for most LLCs, you're looking for to pay about $500 to $750 to set up your LP structure. Now, if you're going to be doing... Um, a structure where you have say an LP at the top and then LLCs underneath you have like um, one of them being the general partner taking 99% of the liability that's gonna get more expensive because now he's not setting up a LP he's setting up a LP and an LLC and an LLC and each one has a price um, I know if you get more you probably can get a better price but it's gonna it's gonna compound so be prepared for that if you're gonna do a more elaborate structure each thing is gonna cost more because it's gonna cost him more um, and why do you want to do this asset protection 
you want you want to create a barrier you want if someone gets a judgment on the property the properties in an LP or an LLC you want them to be going to not be able to go outside of that LP or LLC structure you want them if they happen to get a judgment you were negligent and you want them to not be coming after other properties you have in other corporate structures you don't want them coming after your stuff in Canada you want them to be stuck with that once you have these structures every year you're gonna have a filing fee and it depends from state to state I'm learning more all the time as I talk to more people who are in different states than I am uh, typically it's uh, around a hundred dollars a year to keep your corporate structure alive just to pay them uh, business privilege tax um, for the privilege of doing business in their state um, sometimes you're gonna need to get uh, permission to operate in different states I've done other podcasts on this whole subject I believe it was episode 91 in that range anyway so you can check that out if you want to go into more detail um, quick before we go too far I will say you want to make sure if you're doing an LLC structure you want to have an LP on top you don't want to own stuff as a Canadian strictly in an LLC and if you want more information on that check out episodes 21 22 and 91 and like I mentioned you will need to get an ITIN number um, this is your ID for tax purposes in the US it's your personal ID it's not for the corporation I think that gets confused a lot the corporate ID is the EIN for an LP or an LLC and the your personal taxes and one thing I should do say too is when you're doing an LP or an LLC the money flows through to your personal thing because people are always ask me how do I get my money out of this LP or LLC do I have to do um, a dividend well no it's not a C Corp it is a flow through entity so it goes to your personal return so you can get your money back a lot easier you're paying personal taxes on this this money you're not paying corporate taxes well you're paying kind of a hybrid in between them I am not a CPA contact my CPA if you want to get into more details on how taxes work because I don't file my taxes I have a professional do it and you will need an ITIN if you want to get credit cards um, it's still very difficult but it is possible hang in there keep trying uh, you can google some places for credit cards for ITINs there are lots of companies that do do it so now you have this stuff you got an EIN for your LP or LLC you've got your ITIN number you're now golden to go get bank accounts in the United States um, setting up the bank accounts is really slow getting checks is really slow usually so start on this as soon as you have all your paperwork because ideally you don't have to and I've broken this rule before sometimes I send money straight to the title company ideally you want to run send money to your um, corporate entity and then to the title company it just makes your taxes nice and straightforward it's like item 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 and you can see money going in money going out you can match stuff up it's much better than having these weird transactions all these weird pieces of paperwork to match up to your accounting just a lot simpler one idea to do is to get your bank accounts where you plan to get your mortgages so if you plan on getting Royal Bank mortgages it might make sense to get a bank account at Royal Bank 
The one problem you might you may not realize is if you're using Royal Bank TD BMO Harris, you may not be able to get more than like one or two or three mortgages with them. Talk to them first because they can always changing their rules every time I talk to them, but often it's like one property. Sometimes it's three properties that let you have. It's not a scalable model. You want to buy a lot of properties, it's not a scalable model. Um, TD Bank is only on the East Coast, so a lot of states, unless you're down in Florida or like the Carolinas, it doesn't make sense because you can't, they don't bank, you can't get banking everywhere. So it's not that helpful. Um, I have used some of these banks before uh, for bank accounts. I have actually switched most of my banking to a private or a smaller bank because I'm building a relationship so I can get mortgages with them. And that's where I'm trying to go with this whole thing is to get bank accounts where you plan to get mortgages. Talk to them and say, what could I get in the future? Uh, what kind of interest rates? What kind of things? And you'll find that they can do amazing things for you, some of these other banks. But you need to build a relationship with them first. So tax returns. Let's talk a little bit about tax returns. Uh, once you've filed taxes in the U.S., um, there everybody's a lot happier to work with you. It shows that you're doing a business properly, that you're actually running a business. Um, like I mentioned earlier, there is a tax treaty. If you did pay pay taxes in the United States, you won't pay them again. You'll have a credit to put onto your Canadian tax returns. Technically. <laughs> Technically, there is a 30% tax withholding credit. Excuse me. That they could apply to your properties when you sell them. Um, to get that money back, you just need to file a tax return. I mostly see this happen when people buy uh, vacation properties and then they sell them because they've never filed, they're not running a business, they've never filed taxes for this property they own in Florida that they use for part of the year. And because of that, basically they lose 30% and they say, oh, I'm not investing in the States because I lose 30% every time I sell. Not completely true. You will get your money back even in those cases. Um, yeah, that's how you do it. You just file some taxes and they'll give you your money back. Um, 1031 exchange is legal for Canadians. Um, is it advisable? Every CPA has a different idea on this. We will touch this on another subject. Uh, we will touch on that in another podcast because that is a whole can of worms to start opening up. Um, technically, the property managers could hold 30% of your rents, um, but there's an LLC exception. If the properties are held in an LLC and it's a business, then they won't do that. Even properties I've had in my own name because sometimes I buy properties in my own name and then I convert them into the LLC on the refi. I still have never had this 30% um, withholding tax, so it is out there. Uh, I don't. Maybe it's state specific that people are getting picky on it, but where I've invested, I've never encountered this at all. Okay, now that we got all that stuff set up, what are we gonna do next? Where are we gonna get these properties? So here are some places you can get some properties off the MLS. That's the most obvious one. You can go see the properties there. Are there deals there? Yes, but there are way more people going for those same deals and it's gonna be much more difficult and you're gonna to have to work really, really fast 
to actually get them. Pocket listings. So if you are like scoping the MLS out and you see that, hey, there's one realtor, he's probably a broker, he has like a lot of properties listed under him, you might want to make a relationship with him because he probably has pocket listings. Oftentimes, before he show, sends those properties out to the MLS, he'll show them to his inner circle of people who are investors, and you might be able to beat the rush there. Like that's, If you have less competition, you're going to be able to get easier deals. Another way to do is buy turnkey. I'll address the turnkey advantages and disadvantages in a little bit, but you could buy a turnkey property, and that would be a way to step in easy. Um, you could buy from a wholesaler. Make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you check their numbers. I've personally made mistakes on trusting people. Uh, I don't anymore. Um, pay a realtor for comps if you're buying something from a wholesaler. Find some good apps to give you comps. Good apps for comps are not Zillow, Redfin, Trulia, Realtor.com are not the place to get comps. You can look at those three sites and you can get the exact same property. One site will say it's worth 50000 and the other one can say it's 150000 That is huge. It is not the place to get your comps. It might be an idea to use if you have, like, say, um, a virtual assistant working for you and they can just go and pull it from all those things and that would be enough to say if it's worth digging deeper into that deal, but it's not the place to get your comps. A great place to buy properties is from a bank or the city. Short sales, foreclosures, um, these are a great way to buy your properties. So these are listed on the MLS. It's not a secret. Banks want to sell them. They're not going to keep this as some sort of little club that only certain people get them. They are on the MLS. Finding them is sometimes like a needle in the haystack. Um, a lot of times if you just do the search tab for foreclosure, it doesn't actually find half of them even. It, it, like if you have the drop down in Trulia or Zillow, it doesn't actually find them all. And a lot of the ones it finds are from auction.com. Um, I don't know if I want to dig too deep into this, but basically auction.com does not give you pictures of the inside. You might be buying something you don't understand. Be careful. Anyway, uh, you could buy tax deeds. So if you're interested in buying tax deeds, check out episode 65 with Nolan Sandburn, excellent one, and the episode with Katie Ross, uh, episode 83, which talked really deeply about tax deeds, uh, one in, for Alabama and one for Indiana. But a lot of these things are applicable to many other states. Some of the rules are slightly different, but it gives you some great information where to go. And FISBOS, another way you can find properties is for sale by owner. Um, you can search for that online. You can go do your own marketing, basically do your own wholesaling and buy it yourself as well. Okay, so I'm going to jump into turnkey properties quickly. I don't want to spend my whole day on this, but some of the reasons you're going to want to do turnkey or why I did turnkey at the start was ease, distance. You're so far away, you don't have a you just want someone else managing the whole thing. You don't have a team of your own yet. Um, they have contacts for your lawyers, your CPAs that specialize in Canadian investors. They vet tenants. They pay the tenant setup fees, which if you did it yourself, you may have to pay the first month's rent or first half month's rent for putting tenants in. Um, they have better knowledge of the area than you do, so you might not make some mistakes. Um, 
But remember, not all turnkeys are the same. Ask some questions when you're buying turnkey. Um, some of them you buy the house unrenovated. I don't know how that's turnkey, but it still is turnkey. Um, the cost is included in the price. So you might be buying a house that is completely trashed. After closing, they will start doing the renovation. The reason they want to do that is construction money is more expensive from their perspective. So they would rather that be on you to do. And they would prefer you to be doing that in cash. So you buy the property, then they do the renovation after you own it. All the carrying costs are now on you. So that may not be the way to go. Many of them, you will buy the property post-renovation um, where you can put a mortgage in place right off the start. They are mortgageable properties at that point after they've been renovated. Uh, some have a two-year guarantee. Some have repairs guaranteed for two years. Some have them guaranteed for one year. Some don't have any guarantees at all. Not having a guarantee doesn't mean it's a bad turnkey operator. There's an episode I talked uh, way back with Marco Santarelli, and they repaired stuff after the closing and there was no guarantee in place that is not necessarily the case even with his company that it would happen for you but do some research google the person you're buying it from um, some of these turnkey operators just provide a house and put the tenants in and that's it and they walk away um, there's both ways to look at this some of them they keep the property management in house and people go well that's less risk because the property manager is the the person who did the renovation so they're kind of liable for it um it, it it's it, it's not really an advantage it could be an advantage the way you way you look at it the problem is that those contractors all work for that company those contractors will never work for you so if you want to expand and go into the other things it might be better to work for a company that has it all split up and they hire different people so what are some of the disadvantages of turnkey the money is made during a renovation remember that well, money is made during the buy and during the renovation. You're giving away both of those chunks to somebody else. They are making a lot of money and you are getting a product that's already completed. Remember, you're giving away all that equity. You're buying it at retail or very close to retail. It can work. It can still be mortgageable. It's hard to refinance because you're up near market value you don't want to be up market value not to do a refinance their handyman will never be your handyman like I just touched on if they if it's their whole operation those people aren't freelance handyman often they work for the turnkey operator so you can't hire them later you say you get deep into a market and you want to start doing your own renovations well let's hire the people who did the renovations for those turnkey properties they work for the turnkey operator, then they won't be for you. You're also missing out on off-market deals. So there's a lot of times you can buy properties substantially lower than their ARV. Remember that. You're, you're giving up a lot of the equity to the operator. Let's talk on financing. I'm going to be really brief on this because these rules change all the time. All the time. These numbers are old and I because I don't even talk to the Canadian banks anymore um, one of the reasons I don't talk to the Canadian banks is it's much more difficult to get lending you're basically qualifying the same way as if the property was in Canada so you're talking about debt service ratio and all of their qualifying qualifiers these are just some numbers that I pulled probably about a year ago when I was talking to all the banks and it does change all the time uh, 
these ratios, debt service ratios, loan to value ratios, interest rates change all the time. And remember, like I said earlier, a lot of times they're not intended for uh, rental properties and building. They're more geared towards Canadians' vacation homes. Um, if you lie to them to tell them it's a vacation home to be under some of these lower interest rates, you may be committing mortgage fraud and you don't want to get onto their lists because they are connected to Canada too. So they could go back because I've heard about people getting blacklisted before and then you don't want to have Royal Bank or TD or whatever not saying they won't loan to you in either country. Anyway, hard money. This is where a lot of my money comes from that I'm using. Um, a lot. There's so much I could talk to about this. I should probably do a show on this. I could probably get some of my hard money lenders on, which I probably will in the next little bit. Um, and many times, these fix and flip loans are 90% of the purchase price and 75% of the ARV. So think about that. It's not a true 90%. It is covering this renovation and everything else, but you're going to have to get your appraisals to match up exactly the way you want. A lot of times you're paying in the 9 to 10% for this. This is a fix and flip loan. Remember, these are short term 12 month or 13 month loans. We're not talking, this is not the loans I'm using for my properties for 30 years. A lot of times, uh, once you go to do your refi, your buy and hold loans are going to be 65 to 75% loan to value, is what, where you're going to be getting your financing. So if your intention is to buy perfect burrs, you want to make sure that the amount of money that you have into this project is 65% or less than what this property will appraise for. Otherwise, you're not going to get all your money back. And remember, there's other fees too. So that, you're already having to focus on a 65% loan to value for Perfect Burr. You might go, wow, I'm out. It is totally possible. It's totally possible to get those numbers. So don't give up. Hang in there you can find these the numbers to work and the interest rates are going to likely be six to nine percent um when you're starting out uh i was getting mostly in the sevens uh now i get in the sixes um that's just how it goes you build up a reputation and that that that's how it goes <laughs> um blanket loans touch on this briefly it's often, these numbers change from lender to lender. Everything is so different from lender to lender. Often, $250,000. So you this, what, so what a blanket loan is, is when you pool a whole bunch of properties together. Often, the minimum uh, appraisal value for a property to go in here is $50,000. It has to appraise for $50,000. Often, it's $250,000 you need to have in state to do this. And when you talk about blanket loans, it changes. Some companies, it's two properties is a blanket loan. You can combine two properties together. Some, and then maybe they, I know the one, it's like $75,000 per property is the minimum value for two. If you want to do uh, like a whole bunch of cheap ones, often you're looking at five properties to put together. Uh, the loan to value can be 75% loan to value. Like everything is often 65% loan to value as Canadians. 
just so you know. It is a way that if you're already in the States and you've bought a bunch of properties that are really cheap and not financeable because they're $50,000, you may be able to bundle them together and get a mortgage and then continue going. Seller financing. This is the cream of the crop. This is the best financing that exists for Canadians. It is very available. A lot of times this, people will go, why would a seller do this? Why would they hold the financing? Why would they be the bank? Well, it's a way to sell their properties. Um, a lot of the times they can't sell them to other people. That's why I get a lot of questions with uh, people. Why would they rent if they can uh, buy these properties for $50,000 or $40,000 or $30,000? Why would people rent if they can buy a property for $30,000? Because you can't get a mortgage on a property that cheap. And that's why some of these other investors have built up a whole bunch of these really cheap homes and they have a hard time selling them because they can't sell them to end users. They're selling them to other investors because most buyers, home buyers, first time home buyers aren't putting down $30,000 of cash to buy these properties. So they can sell them to you. You can negotiate everything. You're talking to a seller, another investor. It's all a negotiation. Like I always say, you can either negotiate on the price of the terms. This is seller financing, so you can even pay what the property is appraised for and make them into killer deals. Well, how, how would you do that? Well, how about really cheap interest rates? How about no interest for the first two years? How about interest only? There is so many different ways to do this. You can put balloons in. There, I'm gonna have to do a show on this too. I think I actually have done some shows on seller financing. This, there's so much to do here. There's so much to do. You can buy properties with 0% down. You can do lots of things. It's all a negotiation between you and another investor. It's the cream of the crop. You can search these online too. And in all honesty, a lot of them aren't there. Uh, when we went down to the States to Kansas City to buy them, we went down to buy a, a portfolio of them. And once the word got around, there were a bunch of Canadians in town and they were buying up a lot of properties. Deals came out of the woodwork that were not listed, that were not pocket listings that we knew about at all. We started getting more and more presented to us. So there is a market for this. There is lots of people that own these properties that they have a hard time getting rid of. Keep that in mind though too because you're going to have probably want to get rid of them too. But if you can do some value adds get them up to 50,000 you could bundle them and other people can do have lots of options to use them too whole nother show anyway um cheap finance properties the bank i currently bank at i found from a hud statement you go what hud statement is basically the closing statement it shows like basically down the column in canada you only usually see one side in the states often the title company will show you both sides so you see uh what who the current bank is uh, for the person who's selling the property, how much they owe on their mortgage, all that information. But it shows the bank information, right? So that's how I found the company I bank with now is because they were, I was buying a property for $42,000 and they had financed it. That means that they're a lender that will lend under the lending requirements of hard money. So it might make sense to get a bank account there and build up a relationship. Another cool thing I found out once I started working with the bank, zero 
fees unless your bank account is empty. If you don't have any money in the account, they're going to charge you bank fees. But if you're using the bank account, zero fees. You can try and compare that to any of the Canadian banks, it blows you away. They want your business and they will do better refinances and better purchased uh, loan to values than the hard money or the Canadian banks. Okay, let's talk a little bit about doing it yourself, which is what I completely do myself now. Um, let's talk about some disadvantages. Some disadvantages are the lease up fee. Um, yeah, whenever you buy a, a property vacant, you do a renovation, you've made the value, you've got your perfect burr, you got your money back, everything else. One little thing that you're going to have is when you go to lease this up, you're probably going to lose a month's rent or half month's rent or whatever their lease up fee is. You're going to be paying that small potatoes, but it is a disadvantage compared to turnkey. Um, you have to manage this renovation from a distance. I have talked to people who have got contractors from Craigslist and they've just walked away with their money. Be careful. Don't give them too much money either off the start. You get them to do some work, get them to prove the work. If you're using financing, they have to. It's a great way. <laughs> it's a great way to check yourself. Um, you're gonna have vacancies during the renovation. Remember that. Put it in your numbers. Um, whenever you're doing a renovation, your vacancy. Sorry, you're gonna be paying carrying cost. That's part of doing it. So you're gonna have that. If you bought turnkey, you wouldn't have that vacancy where you're paying the, the prop for all the where you're paying for the loan yourself. Also, you're going to need to find all your team yourself. You need to need to find a lender, a property management, a construction crew or a contractor, an accountant, a title agent, and the list goes on. Lots and lots of little things if you're doing this yourself. The advantages to doing it yourself are you're going to be able to do a lot of these strategies that you can't do with turnkey. For instance, burrs. How awesome would it be to recycle your money every six months. So you bought a property and every six months you refinance it, get all of your money back, ideally some extra too, and you repeat and you do this over and over and over again. And how fast could your portfolio grow? Well, two hours a year, it was just that one chunk of money if you're doing this right. You won't be able to do that by doing turnkey. That's a fact. Flips, you're not gonna be able to flip properties by buying them from turnkey operators. You're buying them too close to retail. It's not gonna work. Uh, lease options, hmm, you probably could do some lease options using uh, turnkey. Ideally, I would still try to do it all yourself. Anyway, money is made during the renovations. It's better to buy properties from wholesalers, short sales, foreclosures, tax deeds, and off market than working with on-market properties or turnkey operators, in my opinion. In my opinion, totally biased, but the best way to get into investing in the United States is to partner with someone who is already doing this. I personally do this for lots of people all the time, and I do it instead of a coaching program so that they, if they want to, they can learn the whole thing themselves and go do it themselves. And for me, it's better to be hands-on in doing it than running some coaching program where I'm taking people's money and they never can do anything with it. I'm going to close this off with some last little tips. Don't use your bank 
for doing wires to the states. It is expensive. You're giving the bank two to three percent. You're wasting your money. This is what I did on my first, I think, two properties. I sent money straight from my bank in Canada to the United States. They are taking a cut every time you do that. That is a quick way to lose money. What I like to use is Knightsbridge FX for many of my currency exchanges. A lot, I do still use the local currency exchange too to send money. It does work very well. Um, and you're going to be paying a, a fee at like 0.5, like not like 2% to the bank, like 0.5 to these currency exchanges to do it much cheaper to send your money around. Uh, I know if you use your local currency exchange, at least my local currency exchange in Waterloo, they are going to charge you a $15, I think, wire fee, whereas Knightsbridge FX doesn't, but it's $15. It's not the, the end of the world. Um, <clears throat> both, which, either one you choose, ask them to call the trading floor, get the best rate. Don't get the posted rate that's up on the board. You can do better than it, especially if you're sending enough money to buy a property. So another big question I get is, what happens if another crash happens in the United States? What happens if the whole financial system falls apart and we have another 2008 or 2007, depending where you say it started? What happens then? Well, the real estate market is a 10-year cycle. If you can hold your properties for 10 years, you'll be back through the cycle. Even the 2007 or 8 crash, it was massive. And it didn't take 10 years to recover. You could have broke even at like five years. There was a lot of markets corrected themselves back up in a reasonably short amount of time. The only time you lose money is when you sell. If you just keep renting that property out, you will get through this. <laughs> um, I don't anticipate that happening, but I am not a fortune teller. <laughs> but anyway, worst case scenario, Remember that. Also, I got this from my guest, Joe Fairless, who was on here. Uh, I was on his show too, episode 1304. Anyway, the people who lost their houses during the crash didn't have a CapEx fund. They had short-term financing that came due and they didn't, uh, the, and the properties didn't cash flow. Think about these for things. That's how you're going to lose your properties during that time. If you have these things in place, you sh will be able to make it through. So what is a CapEx fund? It's a capital expenditure. So if a roof goes or something major goes, that you have cash to do it. If the banks are closed, basically, and they're just continuing on the loans they currently have, you're going to need some cash to fix some of these things. Short-term financing is dangerous. I use short-term financing for fix and flip loans for 12 months. That is a danger at that point. Also, if you're going to do short loans for other things, I did an 18-month loan on one of the purchases of my properties, seller financed. That is a dangerous loan because in the end of 18 months, I'm probably looking to get into another loan or a long-term loan. Uh, so you better be prepared to have a backup plan if you can't get into financing. Um, and, you, and selling may not be the better plan. If the market crashed, that might not leave you an exit. I typically have loans I think my this now besides fix and flip loans my shortest loan is a seven-year loan and I typically almost always do 30-30 loans so 30-year term 30-year amortization and that's how you know it's predictable if anything happens it's predictable um, and always buy properties that cash flow I think everybody knows that 
if you're buying properties in Canada, you're still buying cash flowing properties, right? Right? We're not buying for appreciation. We're not speculating. So yes, those are the three things to keep in mind. So now how do I calculate the rent? What should these properties rent for? Should I be just pick, figuring out what they cost me every month? And no, no. So there's some websites out there that'll give you these estimates. And uh, you know who the best person to give you the estimate is? Your property manager, because they have to go find the rent. So if you talk to your property management ahead of time, they'll be obligated to find the rent that they claim they could get you, right? Accountability, best way to do it. But if you don't have that relationship yet, some quick ways, or you just have a virtual assistant trying to run numbers for you, quick way to do it, rentcheck.com, rentalmeter.com, zillow.com, trulia.com, redfin.com. So thanks for tuning in. If you have more questions, first of all, try searching through my videos. There is tons of information. We've covered a lot of things in the last two years, two and a bit years of this podcast. Lots of topics have been covered. And even if you need to help finding certain topics, send me an email, glenn at glennsutherland.com. If you want to talk to me about a JV partnership, email me as well. We'll have a discussion. We'll see if it works for everyone. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a great week.